with chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary dairy. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. To scare to death, creeps, peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hi, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. Hello, Danny. Before we get into anything, uh, I have an announcement for the 2021 Bad Magic Virtual Gathering. Woohoo! Sunday, De- December 19th, 6 p.m. Pacific time, and it is free. Uh, gonna go real big in 2022 with the gathering. An adult summer camp in August that uh, Lindsay's running point on. More details to come later. Yeah, we'll discuss that in the new year. Just yep. hang tight. It'll be wild for all the creeps, peepers, Roberts, Annabelles, fans of Time Suck, Is We Dumb, uh, any of those who can attend. All the Brads, all the people who like to check for <laughs> shoes, all the Space Lizards, yeah. Andre Chikatilo, like all those people. Well, hopefully not Chikatilo. <laughs> uh, for this year, going to keep it easy and low-key. Going to have a Christmas movie watch party preceded by a studio tour followed by Q&A. Uh, the movie we're watching, A Christmas Story. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. That one with Ralphie, that classic. Uh, with me, Lindsay, whoever else uh, on the staff can make it. Plus a little Q&A, like I said. Uh, and you just go to com slash a Christmas story and click follow to get in on this. Uh, you'll enter your name, email address, age. You'll click next, username, password, go back, follow button again. So you're following. It, it sounds more complicated than it is. It's real intuitive once you go to scenercom slash a Christmas story. And when you follow us on that, then you'll get notified when we're going to start the show. Uh, you'll see some of Logan's uh, graphic. You'll know you're in the right place. Mm-hmm. And again, Sunday night, December 19th, 6 p.m. Pacific time. And, and again, it's free. Just a thank you for being a fan of what we do here. You do have to be uh, an Amazon Prime member to watch this movie, though, because you have to buy it or rent it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think you have to be a Prime member to do that with the movies. You guys know. I mean, come yeah. on. We're all, we're all savvy enough at this yeah. point. Uh, but we don't make anything off that. It's just, uh, you know, we couldn't find the movie uh, at a place that worked with Cener where it was offered for free. Yeah. Uh, so that's it. That's so it. So it'll be in the episode description, the link to uh, the scener.com slash a Christmas story. Yeah. If you're an Annabelle, you already know how to do this because this oh, is yeah. how we mm-hmm. do totally. TLA every month. Absolutely. Uh, also, we got things sorted out uh, with YouTube. So you probably didn't even notice anything on the scared to death end. That's true. We mentioned that last time. Uh, you know, the uh, scared to death video is being affected because of being a Bad Magic Productions YouTube video. 
Artificial intelligence bot got a little ahead of itself. Whoa, slow down. Misinterpreted a link in an episode of Is We Dumb. Joe got it sorted out. I know. Go Joe. Mm-hmm. Woohoo. AI sometimes helpful, sometimes not. So just addressing that if you're like, hey, what happened to that yeah. situation? Yeah. Why'd they lie to us? Oh, look at you guys. Oh, that was like a close-up on my Santa sock. Joe, go back. <laughs> go back. Hey. Lindsay's got her Santa socks on. Woohoo. Uh, no new merch in the store this week at badmagicmerch.com. So much overall, though. Yeah, well, and there is, there. I mean, there's also merch for the uh, the gathering. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So maybe we haven't talked about that. So that'd be technically new. Technically. But there's just so much. Uh, Logan does such a great job. Uh, and it's just, it's such a beautiful site. I was looking at it this morning. I know. So uh, you can check that out. And, and now we can talk about the episode. Okay. Well, I have one giant Big, fat, yummy story. Okay, one story for you. One story for me. It is... Is it a saga? Kind of. Uh, it's a lifelong doppelganger. Ooh, okay. Question mark? Like, All right. That's is, exciting. Is there something out there that is like doppelganger-esque, but like not quite? Like, is it like a shadow of yourself? Mm-hmm. What is it? What happens when it builds over time? Like you start seeing it when you're a child and then you see it in your teen years and now you're in your 20s and it's still there. Wow. Yeah. It's um. It's not one of those stories that's like, boom, like, whoa. It's a lot yeah. of like, Ugh, okay, don't like that. And then it builds and then it builds and the crescendo at the end is just like, oh, okay. Because technically doppelgangers, as we're going to hear in the story, are omens of bad things to come and some bad stuff came. Mm-hmm. But she's still, but the doppelganger is still around. So like, mm. is it is it a multi-part omen? Like, what is that about? Right, right. I'm very into it. I was so freaked out. Okay, I'm excited to hear that story. Uh, I am back to two, down from three uh, this week. An urban legend that some claim is real is the first story, followed by a story of what seems to have been a haunted item that then maybe creates a haunted house. Hmm, okay, that, that seems plausible. The first story revolves, yeah, it reminds me of Joe's story from a few weeks ago about uh, in, the, in the kid's room, the dresser. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the first story revolves uh, around Central California's, Central California's legend of the Dark Watchers. I'd never heard of these, but this is very interesting. Me either. That uh, was like a motorcycle club. Yeah, it does. Uh, the second is set in Wisconsin, the tale of the Tallman family, bringing home, you know, much more than a bunk bed from a thrift store. Sorry, I'm just over here laughing. All of a sudden, I just like was picturing uh, like a, a over-the-top neighborhood watch, like some guy who just takes it way too far. Mm-hmm. He's the dark, the dark watcher. Yeah, yeah. He like stalks around the neighborhood like, you're not going to mess with us. But then you mm-hmm. just find out he's in like some really uppity like beyond upper middle class neighborhood where it's like, dude, what are you doing? Nobody needs you here. It's like uh, the, from the Burbs, that old Tom Hanks movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, I love that movie. Uh, are you ready to get started? Yeah. Yeah. I already talked about my socks. Oh, uh, but I want to talk about my oh, sweatshirt. Yeah. And mine too. Yeah. This, these, these shirts, can I just say, uh, they were given to me to give to you. Correct. And for me uh, in Tampa. So thank you to the couple. Late show Saturday on my way, um, you know, out of the club, handing this little baggie off. That was very nice. Like a little drug deal. Like a little drug deal. And uh, and I'm sorry in the yeah chaos of kind of like the busy weekend, not remembering your names. I remember your faces and giving you hugs. And the, the shirts of, yeah, mine says crystals are bullshit. Yeah, mine says crystal queen. <laughs> but I was laughing so hard because uh, I saw these both on your dresser mm-hmm. and that was folded up. So I just saw like a little bit of fingers. I saw some crystals and I saw crystals are and I was like, yeah, somebody sent a shirt that's like, fuck yeah, crystals are fucking awesome. Like something to that effect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I held it up today and I was like, oh, oh. Well then. But then but, you saw yours. But then I saw mine and I was excited all over. This is like a weirdly comfy sweatshirt. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So cozy. Okay, I'm ready now. Okay. Let's do it. 
The Dark Watchers, just a Central Californian urban legend, or something more? These shadowy figures have been appearing to hikers in the Santa Lucia Mountains for decades, to settlers for centuries, and to local tribes for possibly as long as there have been local tribes in the area. They were often reported wearing wide-brim hats, and sometimes also carrying walking sticks, like some sort of mystical interdimensional travelers or something. Witnesses have claimed them appearing up to 10 feet tall. When encountered, they typically just stare down hikers as they traverse through the mountains. Why are they watching? No one seems to know. Old legends warn people to never address or acknowledge them in any way. In 1937, Robinson Jeffers, a noted Central Californian poet and conservationist, referred to these dark watchers in his literary collection, Such Counsels You Gave to Me and Other Poems, writing, He thought it might be one of the watchers, who are often seen in this length of coast range, forms that look human to human eyes, but certainly are not human. They come from behind ridges to watch. He was not surprised when the figure turning toward him in the quiet twilight showed his own face. Then it melted and merged into the shadows beyond it. Another Central Californian writer, Grapes of Wrath author John Steinbeck, also wrote about the Watchers in his 1938 short story, Flight. Steinbeck wrote, Pepe looked suspiciously back every minute or so, and his eyes sought the tops of the ridges ahead. Once, on a white barren spur, he saw a black figure for a moment. But he looked quickly away, for it was one of the watchers. I'm sorry, for it was one of the dark watchers. No one knew who the watchers were, nor where they lived, but it was better to ignore them and never to show interest in them. They did not bother one who stayed on the trail and minded his own business. Another account comes from Olive Hamilton, Steinbeck's mother, who claimed to have brought fruit and flowers to the watchers. She would tell others that if you leave food upon your return, you'll find flowers in place of your offering. Reports of these entities were recorded by early Spanish settlers who gave them their name, Los Vigilantes Oscuros, the Dark Watchers. Before the Spaniards showed up, the Chumash people of Central and Southern California mentioned them in oral legends going back God knows how long. When seen, the Dark Watchers typically stand on the edge of the horizon and rarely approach hikers. If someone tries to approach them, these shadows almost always disappear. Almost. There are several possible rational, non-paranormal explanations for what these shadows might be, including hallucinations, illusions, or even infrasound. Infrasound or sound waves with frequencies below the lower limit of human audibility can be created by wind. While you can't consciously perceive them as sound, that is, you can't hear them, you can feel them. And that can create feelings of uneasiness or anxiety that some think are often associated with not just tales of the Dark Watchers, but with a variety of paranormal encounters. Another possible explanation for the Dark Watchers is something called pareidolia. Pareidolia is a tendency for human perception to impose a meaningful interpretation on a nebulous stimulus, usually visual, so that one sees an object, pattern, or meaning where there actually isn't any. A common example is a, a power outlet being interpreted as a face. Mm-hmm. The bottom hole is the mouth, top two holes are the eyes, or various rock outcroppings interpreted as forming the body of, say, a lion or a human profile. Seeing a body or face in the clouds, another example of a pareidolia. The most popular non-paranormal explanation for the Dark Watchers is a very interesting natural phenomena that I was not familiar with, known as a Brocken Spectre. Brocken Spectre, or Mountain Spectre, is the magnified and sometimes enormous appearing shadow of an observer cast upon clouds opposite the sun's direction. You're seeing your own enormous shadow out in the distance in certain atmospheric conditions. 
I'll show a picture later. It is super cool, actually. Uh, the Brockton Spectre figure's head is often surrounded by halo-like rings of colored light, which appear opposite the sun's direction when uniformly sized water droplets and clouds refract and backscatter sunlight. Very wild looking. And I'm sure there are other totally natural explanations others have attempted to explain away the Dark Watchers with. But are they just really nothing more than tricks of shadow and refracted light or projections from our own imaginations? Perhaps not. There are several reports that come from people who insist that what they saw was much more than a mere atmospheric phenomenon. They're certain they saw and interacted with a sentient being or beings. Beings that seemed possibly malevolent, unfortunately. Time now for the tale of the Dark Watchers. I think he's just a little further, Carlos sh shouted. Julia was furious. You said that an hour ago. She and Carlos had been hiking for hours with no end in sight. She knew they were lost, but he was refusing to admit it. When Carlos had suggested the idea of an anniversary hike, they'd been dating a full year now, she was reluctant. But money was tight for them, and it was free. She agreed on the principle that hiking would probably be some good bonding time for them. Now she was regretting that decision. This experience didn't feel like it was bringing them closer together. It was about to bring her to tears, though. She was exhausted. Her feet hurt. And even if he didn't mean to get lost, it was still Carlos's fault. They'd carefully researched the trails in their chosen spot, the Santa Lucia Wilderness. They chose the uh, Rikonanda Trail. It was supposed to be only three miles long with a scenic view, a solid choice for beginner hikers. Julie had even taken the time to write notes about exactly how to find the trail. And now Carlos had talked her into ignoring some of those notes. Whatever path they were on now was not the Rikonanda Trail. At least it was a path, she figured. It was a wide dirt path and had to lead somewhere, right? Many others had clearly traveled on it at some point. The summer sun beat down on the young couple. Sweat dripped down their faces. The incline grew steeper as they went up the ridge. The path, while well used, at least, in some, at least at some point, was also overgrown, clearly not a priority for any state maintenance worker. Julie had scratches all over her legs from the dry, thorny, rugged brush. She could tell that Carlos was just as miserable as she was, but he kept a chipper smile on his face so he wouldn't have to admit he was wrong, and so he wouldn't set her off. He'd been with Julia long enough to now know that the best thing he could do was just to keep quiet, keep walking, and act like everything was still kind of going according to plan. Julia's misery increased with every step she took. Carlos promised her there was a beautiful lookout up ahead. They could stop for a nice long scenic rest, but now that seemed more and more unlikely. It was already 4.30. They wouldn't have much time at the lookout before they needed to make a quick trek back to their jeep before getting caught out in the woods after dark. Julie wished she'd started a timer when they turned right when she thought they should have turned left to stay on the trail. And she didn't know how much time had passed since then. Two hours, maybe? She wished she could call an Uber or something. Maybe a rescue helicopter. But she wasn't going to be calling anyone. They didn't have service on this part of the trail. They'd have to find the way out themselves or wait until they were gone long enough for their families to report them missing. She wondered, would the forest rangers find their starving bodies deep in the wilderness? Would they go insane and have to eat each other to survive? She shuddered. She was being ridiculous. You're panicking, Julia, she told herself. I see it! Carlos now cheered, pointing to a spot ahead of him. With some newfound burst of energy, he jogged further ahead of Julia, stopping high up on the hill. Did he actually kind of know where he was now? Julia trudged along after him, forcing her burning legs to take each step. When she finally reached Carlos, he grabbed her hand and pulled her up next to him. They stood at the top of a lookout, with a wide view of the entire landscape. The rolling mountains were covered in greenery, covered in a golden glow cast by the sun. The sky was wide open, no buildings to mar the view. It had been a long time since she'd seen anything this beautiful. 
her anger dissipated. Some of it. No view right now could make her sore feet totally stop throbbing. Further ahead now, she could see a sign. Julia and Carlos walked towards it. High Mountain Lookout. Definitely not the Riconanda Trail, but they were at least at a marked spot. There was even a building with stairs that led to a higher lookout point. Carlos and Julia spent the next hour exploring the lookout, taking plenty of pictures and giving their legs a much-needed break. Although things hadn't gone exactly the way they'd planned, they were glad they'd still found a beautiful spot at the end of their hike. Felt like a reward for all their hard work. At 6.30, they decided to head back. Since it was the middle of the summer, they still had enough daylight to not have to hustle, at least as long as they didn't get lost again. We should go that way, said Carlos. See how much shade there is? Julia looked in the direction Carlos was pointing. Ahead of them was a skinny, windy, unmarked trail. It was heavily wooded. I don't know, is that even a real trail? I don't think so, but it goes to the bottom, right? She hesitated. Part of her did think that shade sounded really nice. Another part of her wanted to kill him for daring to suggest taking another gamble on another trail they weren't sure about. She internally debated. Carlos was wrong before and still did get them to this spot. Maybe this path would provide more shade, perhaps a cool breeze. They could explore the woods on their way down. She felt more and more convinced each second, remembering the brutal heat beating down on her from the other trail. A shady wooded path sounded so much more pleasant. Okay, let's go. But if we feel... Like we're lost, you have to promise me we'll turn around and come back. I promise, he said as he put a hand over his heart, coupled with a solemn expression on his face. Re-energized from the rest, the couple joined hands and descended into the forest. Julia wondered if they'd ever see anyone else on the trail. So far, they hadn't seen another soul. She thought a Sunday afternoon would be popular for hiking in the area, but apparently not. The trail here was much different than before. It was steeper, windier, more rugged than the first trail. Julia had to keep her eyes on the ground to avoid tripping on rocks and tree roots. Wait, Carlos put a hand out, stopping her. I think I hear a creek that way. Let's go. He grabbed her hand and pulled her along off the little trail now and into the woods. Carlos was right. There was a creek just off the trail, and the clearing around the creek was beautiful. Tall green grass with wild flowers gathered in various spots. The sun shining down on rushing, pristine mountain water. Julia saw a little rabbit hopping around. It was like a scene from a nature-themed coffee table book. She squatted down, watching the little rabbit, hoping that if she was very still and quiet, maybe it would let her touch it. It was frozen, hiding behind a tall patch of grass, its little nose and whiskers twitching nervously. Hi there, she whispered, reaching a hand out towards the rabbit. Julia, Carlos hissed. Startled by his call, the rabbit hopped away. What? Julia asked, annoyed. Back still turned to Carlos. Why do you do that? Growing up in the city, she'd never been so close to nature before. Julia, turn around, said Carlos. Why? She ignored him, eyes scanning for any more cute creatures wandering through the grass. It's, it's, it's one of those shadow things, he said. Julia could hear a hint of nervousness in his voice. A dark watcher? You know that's just an urban legend, right? No, no, this, this isn't some... Just turn around. Now he really sounded scared. Julia did turn around, and like the rabbit, she froze, muscles locked in place, her heart pounding. A shadow stood on the other side of the creek. But whose shadow? This one had a distinctly human shape outfitted with a wide-brimmed hat, and it wasn't a normal, two-dimensional shadow. No, the shadow formed a solid, three-dimensional human-like figure, and it had strange, glowing white eyes, eyes that were staring right at them, watching them. What the hell is that? Julia whispered. She felt the strangest feeling. She didn't get the sense that they were necessarily in danger, but she did feel that the thing in front of them was evil. She felt a sense of tension, as if a careful balance hung in the air. 
It felt like one wrong move could send things in a very bad direction. A voice in her head warned her to be careful. Carlos seemed as worried as she was. He was first to break the silence. Hey! Carlos called. Can I help you? Are you, are you lost or something? The shadow man did nothing. He just continued to stare with those white eyes. Julie continued to stand still and silent, frozen in fear. Why hadn't they stuck to the trail? Why had they come out here? What the hell was this thing? Hello! Carlos, Carlos called, voice echoing around them. Nothing. He whispered to Julie out of the corner of his mouth, What do you think that thing is? Should we run? Julie watched in horror as the shadow man took a step towards the edge of the creek, a step towards where they stood. And then after a few tense seconds, he suddenly dissolved into a black cloud, and that cloud shot straight towards Carlos. Watch out, she shouted, muscles unfreezing and grabbing her boyfriend's arm. She managed to pull him out of the way just in time. The shadow man now stood in the exact place Carlos was standing a moment ago. Julia and Carlos, too shocked to speak, both stumbled back a few steps. Julia felt that they were on the verge of breaking the delicate peace with this thing. Julie and Carlos took another step back, looking into each other's eyes and agreeing silently to inch their way back towards the trail. The shadow man then took a step closer. Go away, Julia said, finding her voice, although it was weak. The shadow man, the dark watcher, didn't seem to like what she'd said. Again, he dissolved into a black cloud and jumped forward, this time directly in front of Julia, inches away. She screamed. Then Carlos pulled her behind him. Leave us alone! We don't want trouble! I'm going to call the police if you don't go away! Julia knew he was bluffing. They didn't have any cell signal. And what would they tell the police anyway? The shadow man in the woods stalking them? This time the shadow man took a step backwards. It seemed like Carlos's bluff maybe had worked. He dissolved into a black cloud a third time, but instead of flying forward quickly, he slowly floated back to the other side of the creek. Julia couldn't believe what she was seeing. She shook her head a few times to clear her vision, blinked hard, but every time she looked, the black cloud still there. The shadow man stood now in his original place. Julia and Carlos then watched as five more shadows walked down the hill, coming to stand beside the first shadow man. They all looked the same. All had glowing eyes staring them down. Carlos gripped her hand tightly. She could feel the sweat on his palms, her own heart pounding, a bead of nervous sweat dripping down her forehead. What do we do, she thought, trying her best not to panic. She scoured her brain trying to remember what she'd read about these people last night. Something about a book? Something about an offering, maybe? It clicked a moment later. An offering of food. As slowly as possible, Julie reached in the side pocket of her backpack, pulled out a granola bar, the clinking of the package, making her wince. Mustering up all her courage, she took a deep breath and stepped forward towards the edge of the creek. What the hell are you doing? Carlos whispered. Julie eyed the shadows, checking their position before she answered. We're supposed to leave them something. I read about it. I know it sounds crazy, but do you have a better idea? Maybe they'll let us go if we offer them something. Give me your water. Carlos shot her a disbelieving look, but he pulled out his water bottle and handed it over. Julia took the gifts, laid them gently at the edge of the creek, her heart racing as she slowly now stepped backwards. The shadows did nothing. What do we do now? Carlos asked. Julia hesitated. The watcher stood in a line, unmoving. Let's go. Slowly. Step by step, they walked backwards to the trail, the watchers never moving, but maintaining an unnerving stare. After a painfully long face-off, Julia and Carlos decided they should risk turning around and jogging back down the mountain towards their jeep. Looking back one last time, Julia saw that the shadows were now gone, and the spot where she'd left an offering was now a patch of wild flowers she didn't think were there before. Julia turned away and continued hustling down the trail, determined to get away from the dark watchers before they changed their minds and came after them. Weird. Yeah, interesting uh, urban legend slash modern encounter. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting it to like jump around like that. Mm-hmm. Or just kind of like teleport almost. Yeah, like whoop, mm-hmm. whoop. Interesting. But I wonder why it didn't get any 
closer or like why it backed off with Carlos and not Julia. Who knows? I was thinking, is there like some interesting sort of force field? Like it actually can't go any further than this. Mm-hmm. Like do yeah. they, are they stuck in that little area? And also why didn't they just run? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I have some uh, interesting photos. Okay. Uh, this first one's just pretty. This is the Santa Lucia wilderness. Oh yeah, that is real pretty. So that's the area they were hiking in. Mm-hmm. Uh, this next one, just an example of that pareidolia, this is a little, <laughs> little face in the stump. Yep. Or a little butt. <laughs> yeah. Could be a little butt. A little tushy. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Little, little dimples in the tush. <laughs> um, and this I think is so cool. This is an example of that rock inspector. Whoa. So that's a, that's a real photograph. But where's the person? Uh, taking the photo. What? It's their shadow projected into the atmosphere. I wish that I could see both them and their shadow simultaneously, mm-hmm. like someone else taking a photograph of it so that I could get some real perspective on that. Yeah. Hi- highly recommend uh, uh, anyone listening, Googling this. Just take a moment. It's B-R-O-C-K-E-N, Brocken, and then Spectre, spelled in the British way mm-hmm. or the UK way, because it's like a Scotland, uh, uh, S-P-E-C-T-R-E. Or I guess it's not Scottish. Sorry. This, this example is just Scottish. But yeah, you can... Um, there's just certain mountain ranges where it, where it tends to happen more, I guess, because of certain like kind of atmospheric conditions. Mm-hmm. And it is wild. I can look at so many photos. Cool. It reminds me of like what ancient peoples might have mistaken for like angels. Like you're up in a mountain looking out because it creates yep. a halo effect around yep. the, around where your head is. I mean, it looks like the old image of an angel. That's so fascinating. And then this this last one, artist depiction of oh, the watchers. Fuck that. Interesting oh, God, that they've been seen a lot in Central California. That's really creepy. Yeah, I'd like to see those guys in the trail. Oh, no way. God. I find it interesting that Steinbeck and some other, you know, uh, noted authors wrote about him. I know. I love that his mom's name is Olive. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's super cute. I love that name. Mm -hmm. That's a great name. Hmm. Well, I could definitely relate to Julia being frustrated that Carlos got them lost. Yes. Mm-hmm. Any anytime, no matter who it is, uh, you know, if you're hiking not by yourself with a group, and and you want to go one way, mm-hmm. and the other person wants to go uh, a different way, and then you end up lost. I mean, oh, yeah. that is always a recipe for a lot of anger. Do you remember the last time you got us lost on a walk that then became a hike? Oh, I know that happened, but oh, was that the one kind of in Spokane? No, no, no. no this worse. was in Greece this summer. I, oh okay. yes, I yes. I literally I, thought I was going to fucking kill you. <laughs> I was so angry. It was because, hot. And, well, and, it was our very first morning there. Like mm-hmm. it's a very long trip to get there. Mm-hmm. Like we got a good night's rest, and I said, "Hey, we've got like an hour and a half or whatever." I oh, yeah, set my had, alarm to get up early. Yeah, we were. We had an activity. We needed to be back to have breakfast. Like get the kids up. All mm-hmm. of that. I wanted to go by myself and just take it all in. And then you were like, no, I'll go. Okay. And it's very, I mean, it's like, it's a small fucking island, but you know, coastline mm-hmm. and then like middle of the, uh, you know, like mountain yeah, in the middle. Yeah, Mykonos, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mykonos. And so we're walking along the beach and it's so beautiful. And then we get to like this end spot and I said, mm-hmm. okay, like, let's just go back. Ah, no, 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 let's go further. So you True. keep going. And then you're like, okay, now if we just go up and then we should be able like, we should be able to come across, go up, mm-hmm. and then go back to our hotel like you wanted to make a triangle. True. And I was not for it at all. Nice. I was like, no, I think we should just turn around. <laughs> and the next thing we know, we are like three, four, five fucking miles from our hotel. We uh, were so, it wasn't that far. Yes, it, we, ways. it was so far because no. we started walking. We started walking back and 
by pure happenstance because there is no Uber. It's not right. a thing. It's not an option there. Just by pure happenstance, this busted up old Mercedes with a cab light on top mm-hmm. goes whipping by. And I just was like, what? Come back. We got in. The guy was laughing was, so hard. Yeah, this so it nice. clearly had happened to other people. Like, yeah. like, okay, here we go, tourists. But he said it would have taken us three or four hours to get back to our hotel <laughs> if we would have gone on the path that we were going. Because it's not like it was like a straight shot from no, where we were to the hotel. Not, not three or four miles. It would have been like up and winding and around. And yeah. he goes, well, yeah. I mean, if you would have just stayed on the coastline. Like I wanted to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We would have, because the walk was only like 25 minutes, and then it would we would have been there back in an hour. So, Julia, if you are listening, I feel your pain. Mm-hmm. What if we would have seen watchers then? I would have lost well, my we, mind. Well, we were in a populated area, so I wouldn't have worried as much about them. We were surrounded by houses. But that, do we see any other people other than that one homeless naked guy <laughs> sleeping on the beach? Oh, yeah. Uh, we did not. But right. I, I'm assuming they were in the houses. But I, I, I hear you. We were more like by businesses. Okay. So I just think that something well, bad could have happened. Rather than debate about something that no one cares about. I care. <laughs> I care. And every other woman listening who's ever been like, God damn it, uh-huh. husband, partner, spouse, ugh, listen to me. Hear me roar. Rage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, but anyways, but uh, but on the on the Dark Watchers, it sounds like a... Um, like a, a shadow guy, a shadow man, like people or the hat man, the hat man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it's like a precursor. Yeah. Or if they're somehow related. True. All the shadowy entities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It did make me think like, well, what if one of those little guys got out of there? <laughs> and then now they show up in other places because yeah. those night watchers seem to be concentrated in that area. Yeah. With that certain look. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. That's part of like that folklore. So maybe one escaped or it's a little subset of shadow people. Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought it was definitely interesting. And uh, the, the gift and the offering thing, I also like made a note that that's still something that people recommend that you do. Like if they're, if you are going to do spirit work that before you start, you should make an offering to them that, to let them know that you don't mean them harm. And so, yeah. because she would, Julia was saying like, she definitely felt scared and the beings felt evil, but she didn't feel like they were necessarily going to hurt her. Right, unless you made some kind of mistake. Right. But, but uh, tough to figure out what that mistake is when you don't know the rules of the game. Well, I think that the mistake yeah. is not offering them something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know? figure that out, yeah. And that is like a common theme with spirits, that mm. you should just offer them something to let them know that you don't mean them any harm. And then sometimes, oftentimes that will dissipate the the tension between you and the spirit world people like a gift i love a gift even spirits yeah <laughs> carry uh, on are you, yeah you ready to move on from uh, californian folklore to uh, wisconsin yeah, oh wisconsin where it's very cold right now hear the story of a family's haunting yeah let's do it before we move on to those scares we need to take a quick in between story sponsor break please take advantage of these sponsored deals use our codes landing pages so you can save some money this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day-to-day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. 
I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death. There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet, which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking, and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 and use code scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scared to death 50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Thanks for listening to those deals, creeps and peepers. Not much setup on this next story. A few sentences and then we're off. Hmm? On January 11th, 1988, the Tallman family, Alan, Deborah, and their three young children fled their home after nine frightening months of torment. They packed some bags, got in the family station wagon, and drove never to return again to their house in the small few thousand people town of Horicon, Wisconsin. As Larrabee Street disappeared around the corner, they hoped that whatever was happening to them, that whatever had been attacking them, would be left behind with their home. Time now for the story of secondhand possession. It all started nine months back. Early 1987, Alan and Deborah called Debbie by her friends, brought home a bunk bed that they'd purchased at a secondhand shop. When they bought it, they didn't think of the bed as being anything other than a great deal. And why would they think anything else? It was just a bunk bed. It felt sturdy and safe. A great purchase for their two daughters. Perfect for the new house they'd bought in April of 1986. The couple assembled the bed and initially stored it in their basement. And when the Tallmans first moved the bed upstairs in May of 1987, something inside of it, or attached to it, seemed to have awakened. And a terror would be unleashed on themselves and their children. From the moment the bed was first slept in, the house appeared to be haunted by spirits terrorizing first the children and then the entire family. The kids, who were rarely sick before they brought the bed upstairs, suddenly became ill for no apparent reason. 
The night that the family moved the beds upstairs, their son, called Danny in the press to keep his name somewhat anonymous, was in the room next to it. And after his parents said goodnight to him and shut his bedroom door, he suddenly heard disembodied voices. Then, before running panic to his parents, with relief, he saw that the voices seemed to be coming from his clock radio. And he thought that maybe he'd accidentally said it to come on at the wrong time. So he turned off the radio, closed his eyes. But then the radio turned back on. Popped his eyes back open, watched the radio now started randomly switching from station to station. As Danny watched, his eyes wide in terror, the knob at the top of the radio spun round and round. Even though Danny had been listening to the same stations for months now and knew the DJ's voices and mannerisms, he swore something about their voices this night sounded different. They sounded demonic, inhuman. He pulled the power cord out of the wall. Thankfully, now the radio went silent. Thought about running out of his room again, but now he didn't want to leave his bed, didn't want to make a sound. And while he waited, trying to think of the best way to leave his room again, he fell asleep. The next morning, when Danny told his parents, they didn't believe him. They blamed what he'd experienced on an overactive imagination and too much sugar before bed. Alan and Debbie would quickly come to regret that dismissal. A few weeks later, Alan was painting the walls in the basement when he decided to head upstairs for lunch and place the paintbrush on the table. When he turned after eating, the brush was now in the paint bucket with the bristles sticking up. The handle of the brush covered in paint, the bristles perfectly clean. What had happened? No one else was home. Something about it felt like a, a lot more than an accident. More than him accidentally dropping the brush in the bucket and then somehow magically forgetting all about that. Meanwhile, the kids, now experiencing encounters much more unple- unpleasant than paintbrushes that seem to move when no one's looking. Tallman's two daughters were the ones who actually slept in the bunk bed. And one night, the youngest daughter would later say she was sleeping when she opened her eyes and saw a woman with red eyes standing at the door. The woman slowly made eye contact with her and searing pain like fire spread throughout the girl's body. As she watched unable to move, fire licked up the walls of the room and she feared that she and her family would be burned alive inside their home. But then she woke up. It was morning, no fire, the room the same way it had always been. She assumed naturally that she just had a nightmare. She got out of bed and went to the bathroom and screamed. In the mirror, the same woman with the red eyes was now standing behind her. Her own reflection now looked like a rotting, charred corpse. A month later, Danny would seem to see the same thing in the same mirror, his body being the one now charred and rotten. Still, the Tallman parents hoped that whatever was going on was just some odd phase, just as some say kids being kids. But they were starting to get a little worried. And just as a precaution, they invited their pastor over. To their dismay, as soon as he stepped through the door, the pastor's eyes went wide. There's evil in this house, was the first thing he said. And he recommended them getting out of there immediately. But they didn't listen. Not yet. The Tallmans hadn't lived there that long. They weren't ready to give up their new house. They hoped they could figure something out. Now, for months, every time a door banged shut or strange voices called out of nowhere, they tried to convince themselves they were just imagining things. But then a week before Christmas, 1987, Danny told his mother that he'd seen something terrible and they needed to leave right now, and he wouldn't say what that was. He was clearly, utterly terrified. He didn't want to use the bathroom he shared with his sisters anymore. Frustrated, Alan screamed for the spirits to get out of his house. He shouted that if they wanted to fight someone, why couldn't they fight him? And then it seems as if something in his house soon took him up on that. Just three weeks later, at around two in the morning, Early January 1988, Alan returned home from a late shift. Pausing outside the garage, he heard an eerie, howling sound. Could it be the wind, he wondered? 
No, it didn't sound like the wind. It almost sounded like a trapped animal, though weirdly disembodied and not coming from any particular direction. And he was, as he stopped in front of the garage door, oh, he heard a voice say, Come here. Alan prayed to God someone was playing a trick on him. Even someone trespassing on his property would be better than something he couldn't find an explanation for. He crept around the side of the garage, looked into the alley, and there was no one. He turned back around relieved, but his relief would last no longer than perhaps a single second, because now his eyes went wide in shock and fear. His garage was on fire, (gasps) engulfed in flames. Just a mere second ago, it had been perfectly fine, but now flames climbed high up the walls, sending sparks into the night sky, a piece of wood falling at Alan's feet, almost burning him. He ran into the house to get a fire extinguisher. When he came back, the fire's gone. What? Better than gone, in fact. It now appeared that there had never been a fire in the first place. The garage, perfectly intact. The piece of wood that had fallen at his feet, nowhere to be found. Confused, frightened to his core, praying that it had all been some kind of hallucination, perhaps brought on by stress, Alan went into the house. Breathed a sigh of relief that nothing too bad had happened, reached to unpack his lunchbox, and then thwack! The lunchbox whizzed out of his hands, hit the wall across the room, hard enough to leave a crack in the plaster. He felt more fear than ever. What if that lunchbox had hit him in the head that hard? What if something was thrown that hard at his wife or the children? They could be badly injured. While he tried to figure out a solution that didn't involve moving out, Alan began sleeping on the floor now in the room where his daughter slept, where the most activity was. He was worried to leave them in there alone. And one night, he opened his eyes to see that the room was now filled with some type of fog. So thick he couldn't see anything. Not his daughter's toys, not the windows or the curtains. You're dead, whispered a voice. And then the glowing red eyes in the fog, uh, and then he suddenly saw glowing red eyes in the fog boring into his own eyes. It's over. You're dead. When he told his wife what happened, Debbie demanded they go to their pastor again. Alan asked a relative to watch their kids while they went to the church to explain these recent paranormal occurrences. As they sat in their church waiting for the pastor, Alan half expected to get an emergency phone call, something telling them to go back home immediately. He started to wonder if maybe uh, he wasn't just expecting a phone call, maybe there was something inside of him urging him to go home right now. When he looked at Debbie, he could tell she was feeling the same thing. Wordlessly, hearts hammering, they ran to their car and sped home. As he rounded the corner onto their street, Alan was prepared for the worst. He was prepared to see his house burning down to the ground, his children dead. But the house was fine, no fire. However, when they pulled into the driveway, the kids and the babysitter did not seem fine. They ran out into the yard. Debbie and Alan ran over to them. She saw us, the babysitter stammered. She opened her mouth, uh, screamed. She saw us, the woman with the red eyes. And then Debbie and Alan noticed a very thin layer of soot covering their children's faces like the ashes of some type of paranormal fire. What if that fire had become real? The Tallmans left that very night. Two weeks later, Debbie and Allen returned and had the bunk bed destroyed, put it in a landfill. Then in April of 1988, a new family moved into the Tallmans' old home. And it seems as if whatever was in that house, whatever might have come into the house along with that bunk bed, was no longer there. Rumors surrounding the Tallmans' story eventually found their way all the way to Los Angeles to a TV producer... And this case was featured as a part of an episode on Unsolved Mysteries. It aired on October 26, 1988. So did the Tallmans make it up for fame and fortune? No, they weren't paid for the story. And they certainly didn't become famous from their appearance on the show. They'd only agreed to share their uh, story on the show under three conditions. That they be censored, their images blurred during the interview, their children's name uh, to be protected by aliases, and that all reenactments of their experiences be done by actors, not any members of the Tallman family. 
The Talmuds wanted to share their story, but they did not want to risk angering any of the entities that tormented them and risk bringing what they'd experienced back into their lives. As far as we know, that didn't happen. Hopefully the woman with the red eyes has moved on and no longer torments anyone in this world. I bet that um, if they would have looked closely at the bunk bed, I bet somewhere on it mm-hmm. there's fire damage. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I bet two kids or however many kids shared that bed before died. And the fact that that lady was like, it's over. You're dead. Like maybe it was a deranged mother, mentally ill, who set the bed and her children on fire. That's mm-hmm. that's the story I built in my brain. Yeah. Maybe she's possessed. I mean, maybe. Or just sick. Mm-hmm. Yee, yee, yee. Uh, yeah, just a few quick pictures. Okay. This first one is the Tallman House on Larrabee Street in oh. Horicon, Wisconsin. So normal yeah. looking little house. My God, it like looks like where I grew up. It's just so Midwest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then this is a uh, possible picture according to the interweb, according to Unsolved Mysteries, uh, of the bunk bed. Wait, how is that possible? I thought that they... Oh, you know what? That's right. It'd be a dramatic... Uh, this is the this is a still shot then of the dramatic reenactment. Yeah. So I guess that's what the bunk bed looked like. Yeah, Good basic. Call. Just really yep. simple. Mm-hmm, very simple. And then uh, this next one is Robert Wadlow. Excuse me. Why is he here? Well, Tallman <gasps> sent me into a weird spiral on the web of tall people. I was just going to say, was this like a weird case of giantism? Yeah, Not weird. I mean, just extreme. Oh, this guy never, this poor guy, he never, he, he died in his sleep at the age of 22 only. Oh. Yeah, after an infection uh, in his leg spread to his blood, you know, back when infections were tougher to deal with. He died back in 1940. He never stopped growing. Okay. Uh, he was never crippled to the point where he couldn't walk or anything. He was able to walk and stuff. He did have leg braces to help, you know, because his bones are so long. At the time of his death, eight feet, <gasps> 11 inches. Holy crap. So basically nine, nine feet. feet tall. He was nine feet tall. Holy crap. Hades. Yeah. Uh, tallest recorded person ever. Oh, my God. And, and, and his features, um, I will say, like, he was a handsome guy, like normal. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. He just, photos of him appear photoshopped. There wasn't all this newspaper coverage. Yeah. It looks yeah. like they just, like, uh, blew up a picture of a normal-sized guy into being, you know, twice the size of some of the people around him, literally. Well, actually, more than that. Twice the height of a lot of, like, regularly, height, you know, height people around him. Like he's twice as tall as that one woman there. I know, I know. He, um, none so, of his other features seem uh, disproportionate. Right, exactly. Like he doesn't have like a giant nose or Mm-mm. enormous hands or tiny hands for that matter. It's not like just his leg bones grew. No, it's, it's like, like, like pituitary, it is a giant, it's that pituitary, pituitary, excuse me, mm-hmm. gland where it just, um, it goes into hyperdrive yeah. and never gets shut off. I wonder now if there's a way for them through, like, because we have HRT for when you go through menopause mm-hmm. and, you know, you can get uh, testosterone injections. Like right. now we can, I wonder if it's managed, quote unquote, know. manageable now, if it can be reversed or stopped yeah. or how I'm much. not sure. I wonder if a part of your pituitary gland can be removed. I'm going to, yeah. now I'm going to go into a deep <laughs> web. When, I don't think we can remove this. I don't know. Well, yeah, maybe. maybe not all of it, but maybe part of it. Uh, and then this one more picture. This is just ridiculous. When I was looking for that, I was like, what, <laughs> what is, is this? That? Jeff Goldblum. Exactly. I had Emma no idea. Thompson. Yep. I had no idea. There was a 1989 British film called The Tall Guy starring Jeff Goldblum. And it actually has an 89% approval rate on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, my gosh. And the, okay, wait. And then Rowan Atkinson. I know. I was like, who's that other guy? Mr. The, Bean. Mr. Bean. That's right. Yeah. Oh, boy. I feel like Kyler would love this. <laughs> probably. Yeah. We probably have to watch it. The Tall Guy. <laughs> the Tall Guy. What a weird what? name for a movie. That's weird. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that was interesting. <laughs> Fun little happy note, little button on it. Uh-huh. I thought it was so... Um, something that maybe I don't really remember from other stories, but when the child woke up and saw the woman uh-huh. uh, and then felt the pain. 
right? That's not a very common thing. Like mm-hmm. they didn't interact. They didn't. Well, then she woke up after that. Felt like she woke up and then she went into the bathroom and then saw it again. I, I waking. Know. Well, yeah, yes, saw yeah. it, but the pain thing is what threw yeah, me. Yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, that's because it didn't touch her, mm-hmm. as far as we know. Mm-hmm. The the mirror thing. Uh, that's like a little segue into my story because we have an interesting mirror situation. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh buddy. Oh boy. <laughs> I am so into this story. It was, I'm excited to hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, ugh. And what was, okay, so there are so many, so many various things in this story. There's a doppelganger element. There's this mm-hmm. mirror element. There's like, is there someone living in the walls? Like, so many various pieces to it that yeah. just collectively make such a terribly creepy story. But when I was reading it, and there's this part where they talk about, like, you know, was there something in the walls? Like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. At that very moment, I was home alone working on this, and I heard in our attic, which is like we don't have an attic that's accessible, yeah, it's just space. like the like the pitch of our roof. Yeah, uh, it sounded like someone dropped something, like like something uh. l- very loud and very distinct. It wasn't like a little like pebble sounding thing, or it didn't sound like maybe there's a rat or a mm-hmm. bird or something. It sounded like someone had a fucking massive book and just went boom. That's fun. Uh huh. And I know we need a new roof. So then I was like, oh God, did a piece of the roof just cave it? Like, I, I wanted to go to every place yeah, except yeah. for there's someone living in our attic. Mm-hmm. So if you want to um, scope that out soon. Yeah, I'm not going to be crawling up there anytime soon. I, honestly, I don't think that you could fit in there. No, I could take a flashlight and look around, though. Like with your head? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just pop up and just, yeah, just peek around with a flashlight. Yeah. I know. I was thinking about our home inspector when we bought our house. He was a very tiny man. I'm like, so okay, advantage you, for that job. Well, I, I honestly, I was like, oh, that actually probably, I, mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to find many like six, two guys no, doing that job because you have to crawl into such particular yeah. little spots. There's a random, uh, extra bit of trivia. A lot of horse jockeys. Oh yeah. They're so tiny. A lot of them, when they retire from doing that, they go into home inspection. Wow. No one <laughs> believes you. <laughs> but wait, guys. <laughs> yeah. Really yes, small, but how about that tall guy? He wouldn't even have to use a ladder. He just poke his head up there. <laughs> true. That's true. He'd just stand true. up and be like, all good, and then walk out. And he's, and he's thin, so he definitely mm-hmm. is going to fit into mm-hmm. narrow spaces. Yeah. Joe, you bring up an excellent point. <laughs> oh, but I mean, anyways, doppelgangers. Fuck them. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> They're so awful. And this poor person, Lo, who sent in this story, just haunted for her whole life. Like, Eek. just start to now. It's too much. It's too much. And you are afraid of doppelgangers. Yeah, that, yeah, that concept really creeps me out. The concept mm-hmm. of seeing yourself. Mm-hmm. Would you be scared if you saw my doppelganger? Like like if I had like a thing that yeah. looked just like me? Yeah, I wouldn't like to see anybody's doppelganger. Okay. Yeah. Like, like Least a, of all myself, but like everyone else is all, very close to that scary too. Right. Because I don't mean like, oh, you're in an airport. And I God, I thought I saw someone that was you. Right. I mean like in an intimate setting yeah, just, in your house where you're like, mm-hmm. Why are you in the kitchen? Because I don't just think, what is that? I mean, best case, yeah. Uh, I would say kind of like an echo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like it's, it's just a, mm, it, it's not, it's not a sentient entity. It's yeah. just you know, uh, a ref, like a yeah, like an echo of the actual, per, like a copy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but not even like a copy. Yeah, like an echo. An yeah, echo. yeah. Because, uh, but if it did anything out of character, if it, it seemed like sentient. Mm-hmm. That's terrifying. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, well, then what are you that um, you don't look like that? Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. have you have taken over somebody else's look. Why? Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem like a, a thing a nice being would do. Fair. Or, I mean, I don't know, like maybe 
spirits don't have bodies, and so they can like take on like shapeshifters. I don't know. I don't know. But I would rather see my own doppelganger because mm-hmm. I would know which one is me and which ah. one is not versus yours. I where I would be like, yeah. uh-oh. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. Well, let's check in with Lo okay. and uh, hear this crazy story. I'd like to start by saying thank you for taking the time to read my story. You're welcome. Uh, and thank you for the amazing podcast and content you guys pump out. You both make my work days a breeze. Yes. Happy to help. I recently enjoyed a doppelganger episode, and in this particular episode, con- this particular episode or concept has a special hold on my nerves because for many years I've been haunted by what appears to be a doppelganger. I think. Before I get into the thick of it, I'd like to mention that I'm a bit of a skeptic and consider myself to be agnostic. Not that I'm completely shut off to other possibilities, but generally speaking, I prefer to look at logic and science for answers. With that said, there are some things that cannot be so easily explained away or understood. It's hard to know where to start my story because I cannot remember a time before her. The first experience I can recall was when my family and I made a big move to a larger city in Washington. My mom and stepdad moved first, dad and stepmom soon following. My dad and Joe had found a cute mid-sized home with a large yard and a quiet cul-de-sac. My dad and Joe and brother's rooms were all downstairs while mine was upstairs, which, to be honest, was fine with me. The basement was incredibly dark, cold, and mostly unfinished, straight up creepy to my six-year-old self. I never wanted to go downstairs alone, and on the rare occurrence that I had to, I was always sure to have all the lights on and to do everything at lightning speed. I always had the feeling of being watched, stalked around the halls. Around this time, I also started having odd dreams. The dreams were different, but always had a reoccurring character. Her. She would creep around me in these dreams, never saying a word, but coming too close for comfort. She was the same size and build as me, incredibly pale as am I, and she wore a pale dress to match, with very unruly hair that managed to hide her face in the dreams. I often knew, but in my dreams, I often knew she was present because I could feel her staring me down. Her eyes were occasionally exposed so I could catch a glimpse of her eerily familiar eyes. On one occasion in this house, I had a neighbor girl over to play. We took turns jumping off my bunk bed, pillows piled at the bottom. When it came time for what would be my last jump, I didn't come crashing down as I should have, at least not how you would think. My eyes were clamped shut as I, as I gasped and opened my eyes, finding myself floating in midair. Once I opened my eyes, I immediately fell into the pile of pillows. How long had I been hovering above the floor like that? I lost my neighborhood friend that day. We never spoke about the incident, and she never dared to come over again. Fast forward several years, and we've long since moved. I'm living in a new location at both my respective homes. I was never fully able to shake this weird character from my dreams, though. Nothing had happened, but she was still featured in my mind. I was about 13 or 14 at this time, and it wasn't a happy time for me. Besides going through puberty, my grandma, who I'd been incredibly close with, had died by suicide a week before my birthday. I'd also been going through some intense health issues, later being nosed with Crohn's disease. My mind and body were quite ill. I had refused to sleep in my room because of the intense dreams and the frequency at which they were occurring. In an attempt to understand it or make it go away, I blamed the dreams on my bedroom. I kept it forever locked and slept on the living room couch. It wasn't my room, though, and these dreams didn't stop. In fact, they grew worse. 
Instead of my dreams being random, they transformed into out-of-body experiences. I would wake up in my dream and be exactly where I was in life, usually on the couch. I'd be unable to move my body, only my eyes and ears seemed to work, when suddenly, out of the corner of my eye, I could see the glass door separating the dining room and living room open. There was no one I could see on the other side, not unless they were crawling or crouching low. And I could hear someone doing exactly that, as they came through the doorway and made their way around the back of the couch. It was her, of course, being as creepy as all fuck. She looked at me through her hair, her eyes still similar, scarily similar to mine. She grabbed my ankles and pulled me off the couch, across the floor, through the dining room, through the kitchen, to the basement door. It was as though I was floating, barely above the air, and with the help of some unnatural force. She began to pull me downstairs, over to a wall in the back of the basement, where a bookcase was, where a bookcase was, and instead there was only a dark, giant hole. She pulled me through the hole, and then I would wake up. The dreams went on like this for weeks and weeks. Eventually, I got a bit of a better handle on my health, and thus my feelings, and I was sleeping in my room again, normalcy returning. It was also time to move again. We never stayed in one place for too long. The house was mostly packed, one floor remaining, the basement. No big deal. Until we moved the bookcase and there was a giant, dark, hole-shaped stain. I felt sick as we all determined that it had definitely not been there upon moving in. The more I stressed about the what-ifs and the hypotheticals, the more my Crohn's would be aggravated. This craziness wasn't worth a full-blown flare, and there had to be a reasonable explanation for all of it. That's what I told myself for the longest time. I toughed it out through the weird dreams and feelings of being watched. Just a sick kid going through a lot with a wild imagination. A few more years passed, and besides the occasional feeling of being watched or odd dreams with her, life was as normal as it could get. I was 16, distracted by high school and my first relationship. The dreams I was having at the time were still in the form of out-of-body experiences, though. Scary, yes, but I'd almost gotten used to them. Around this time, I also started my first job as a babysitter for a family friend. I watched Olivia often, and all was well. She was my little buddy, my mini-me. After several months of babysitting, Olivia had developed an imaginary friend. I didn't think much of it and tried to show interest by asking her about her new friend. Tell me about your new friend. What's their name? What do they look like? What games do you guys like to play? Olivia's response made me want to abandon ship and throw myself out the nearest window. I don't know her name. She's like you, but I can't see her face. She's got messy hair. She said that while staring at a spot on the ceiling directly above me. She told me she really likes you. Olivia's imaginary friend didn't stick around for more than a few weeks, but the uneasy feeling it had given me sure did. Was she following herself? Was she showing herself to Olivia? Was she following me? Mm. About a year later, I was still in school, working part-time as a housekeeper and renting out the downstairs of a home from a family with my boyfriend. I was often the only one home in the mornings as my day started off a bit later than everyone else's. It usually never bothered me because the family cat, one chance, was <laughs> always waiting outside my bedroom door, ready for loves and snuggles. On this particular morning, things felt off. I'd been awake for about an hour, making the bed and folding laundry before I decided it was time to greet one chance and get ready for the day. As soon as I opened the bedroom door, I knew something was strange. The air that hung in the hallway was so unusually cold and thick. It was almost difficult to breathe, like how it is in extreme humidity, except this was cold. 
Stranger still, one chance was nowhere to be found. No jingle of his bell signaling that he was on his way to me. There was a voice in my head that just kept repeating, telling me to turn on the hall light and have a look. Over and over, the voice kept playing. I obliged. When I peered down the hall, I saw what looked like a barefoot woman, pale, wearing a pale dress, unruly hair, crouched down at the end of the hall, back turned to me. What in the actual fuck? This is not a dream. I'm awake. This was madness. I had to check it out to put my mind at rest. I told myself that it had to be my tired mind or some sort of trick of the light. I tiptoed towards the end of the hall, only three feet away from whatever this thing was. It was no trick of the eyes. My shadow was on her and she had a shadow of her own. She was so solid and so very much there. She even rocked a little bit, being crouched up on her toes. I could make out the soles of her feet. If I'm honest, my first thought was to smash her into the wall, uh, into the wall that she faced, but then a scarier thought crept in. It probably would be game on if I acted aggressively. I had no idea who or what I was dealing with. Words cannot explain how terrified I was in this moment. I stood there for what felt like forever, wondering if I should just wait for someone else to come home and could help me with this situation. No, it would be hours before anybody was home, and I could not be in this standoff all day. I decided my best option was to go back the way I came. I slowly backed away, and she fidgeted a bit more. It went on like this until I finally slipped into the nearest doorway, which happened to be a bathroom. Wrong choice. I was away from my phone, and the bathroom window was much too high and too small for me to escape. I had to go back out into the hall to make it to my room. My mind raced. What if she's at the door, waiting for me? What if she's in my room? What if she charges after me? I opened the door like pulling off a band-aid, and to my horror, she was exactly where I'd last seen her. Forget about watching her, I ran at full-blown sprint to my room, slamming and locking the door behind me. Fuck getting on shoes. I grabbed my keys and my phone, and I ran out the door, because my room had two doors, one to the hallway and one to the outside. As I hauled ass to my car, I tried to see if I could catch a glimpse of her through any of the windows, but she was simply gone. Understandably, I wasn't as easily able to shake this experience. I began to start my days earlier, changing my whole schedule to avoid being in that position ever again. Unfortunately, there were still many occasions where I ended up being home alone. I would know I was alone, but lights would be flicked on and off, and I could hear someone running around upstairs rummaging through the cupboards. I wasn't the only one experiencing these strange happenings. My boyfriend and the family members we were staying with had started speculating whether or not we had a legit person living on the property or in some nook of the house. Perhaps the addict? Everywhere was thoroughly checked and there were no signs of any unwanted guests. We shared our experiences with each other, half the household being complete skeptics of anything paranormal and the other half unsure or convinced what the culprit was. Regardless, we'd all heard someone rummaging around when they were positive of being home alone. Items in the home seemed to be misplaced, and everyone swore they caught a glimpse of someone out of the corner of their eye, even if just for a second. My boyfriend, an absolute skeptic, didn't let any of this get to him. Weird, he'd say. Until one night. I was already comfortably in bed when I saw him poke his head into our room, a weird look on his face, and then he ran back out of our room and then repeated this again. What are you doing, you weirdo? I asked. Is that you? In bed? Like, like you're really in bed right now. Yeah, I said. He ran over, slammed the door behind him, jumped into bed, and pulled the covers nearly up over him. What's up with you? I asked. 
I swear I saw you in the bathroom. You were just staring at yourself in the mirror, like blankly. I asked you if you were okay, and he didn't say anything. You didn't even move, only your stare. Your eyes moved to me, he said, fear on his face like I'd never seen. When I saw you in here, I then ran back to the bathroom, and you were still there. But you were also in here. I don't know. I don't know. I don't believe in that stuff. He was panicked, and he didn't want to discuss it any further, and I didn't want to investigate. After these occurrences that were clearly more than just dreams, I started to share these experiences with a few trusted allies. They had many suggestions on how to cope with this or rid myself of her, but one they all swore to was saging my place. Cleanse it of all the bad or unwanted energy. Energy. I wasn't sure how I felt about burning sage and asking energies to leave as I walked room to room. That was not at all scientific. However, after doing this, everything stopped. The dreams never went away entirely, but they became much more rare. I felt so much better overall. Everyone in the house did. We were finally at ease when we were at home. Although things were good, I was highly curious about what that had all been about, what it had meant. I decided to do a bit of research, and a name kept popping up. Doppelganger. I wasn't convinced, but I did note the similarities in life and in myth. From the research I did, one from the research I did, one bit really stuck out to me. Doppelgangers can be bad omens. If a friend or family member sees one, it is said to be the sign of danger or an extreme extreme change for them. If you see your doppelganger, especially more than once, it is said your death is near. Ugh. I'm 23 now, and things are happening again. The dreams have become almost alarmingly frequent. Things go missing around the house, lights are turning on and off by themselves, and even scarier, they turn on and off without ever being plugged in. My family has been bothered by someone speaking or whistling, the source unknown, their words unintelligible. For weeks, I've been waking up with bruises, the shape of fingerprints on my thighs, neck, and wrists. The most horrifying and sad part of all of this is that my now ex-boyfriend passed away in an untimely and very freak circumstance. Is there any truth to the doppelganger? Did seeing her seal his fate? And my truly burning question, is she still stalking me, waiting for the opportune time to show me the face that she's been hiding from me all these years? That's so creepy. It's so creepy. I have full body chills. <laughs> and then I, I was I'm writing a couple things down and sorry if I missed this, but I, I think like, so... When she was a kid, I mean, there was that weird, like, levitation thing. Yeah. And she had a lot of bad dreams. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't sound like this thing was really physically manifesting itself until around the age of 16. Yeah. And that's when, like, other people started to hear something in the house. That's when she had, like, encounters with something. Like, she's actually, like, awake. Yeah. Hearing it. And that's, of course, around some some somewhere between 16 and 18, it sounded like, where her boyfriend uh, saw this. Well, yeah. Okay. So let me clear up the timeline. So yes, yeah. so the dreams start when she's the first that she around can the remember. Around grandma. Well, no, she starts around six. Oh, she yeah. starts having yeah, yeah. the dreams and stuff. And, you know, it's like uh, experiencing this weird thing in her dreams that like. Right. Consistent. Is, yeah. And it, it looks just dreams. like her. Mm -hmm. She can't see its face. Yeah. It's creepy. Then they move. And, I'm, you know, I'm so sure that in her Sounds brain, like she was moves. like, okay, like maybe it was like part of this house or yeah. whatever. You're like justifying it. Then when she was like 13, they had, they made this big move. Yeah. And she starts babysitting for a family friend. And Olivia has the, she's the imaginary friend. And so to me, that is the first. Oh, that, okay. That's true. That'd be somebody seen it. That would be the first uh, yeah. non-dream manifestation. Okay. While Lo isn't seeing it. Sure. 
someone else has seen it. Then, Possibly, yeah, with the imaginary friend, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Well, the fact that, like, the the girl that mm-hmm, she's babysitting, mm-hmm, Olivia, mm-hmm. says, like, it looks like her. Okay, true, and, true. And, and she, like... Lo was like, well, what's her name? She's like, I don't know, but she likes you. Like, that's that's a that's true. fucking, that's enough right there to right. send me over the edge. I don't need everything that right. comes after it. And and then a couple years later is when people in the other house, the next house, yes. start kind of like uh, wondering if somebody's hiding in their home uh-huh. and hearing things. Uh-huh. And then following a little bit of that yeah. is when the boyfriend sees uh-huh. her in a different place. Yeah. And then, gotcha. and then I don't know, like, you know, it sounds like yeah. she said she was like, because there was this, an experience when she was like 16 uh, mm-hmm. you know, with, um, ba, 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 ba. yeah, yeah. It was like babysitting and then some more time passes and she says she's going to school and living with her boyfriend. So right. I'm guessing she's probably either oh, like yeah. senior in high school or like freshman yeah. in college, True. like somewhere in that age, ra- age range. Cause she's now 23 and the boyfriend yeah. has just recently passed. Okay. So she, yeah, that's true. She might be a little bit older. Yeah. Still is not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. So it's a really like, um, it's very long. Yeah. Like slow, time. steady March uh-huh. of just, uh, and then now, you know what she said there at the end, obviously, is it you know like things are increasing again i mean but yeah what a man and is that true like i actually didn't i hadn't heard that about doppelganger we had actually it's just been a while it's just been a while because i'm remembering when i first told i mean it's you know been a little while now we've told so many stories and i want to say um percy shelley maybe there was there was some like literary people in the Mm -hmm. past who saw um claimed to have seen doppelgangers and then like died and, oh, and, and I don't remember that, that at I think, all. Yeah, that's where like the omen stuff comes from. And I don't have my I don't have my phone, my phone on me to look that up. But yes, we, but we have talked about that at some point. It's just been a while. Well, I, it's interesting that she has seen the doppelganger at mm-hmm. the end of the hallway, but didn't see its face. Like they have not mm-hmm. made eye contact. But then the boyfriend saw the doppelganger in the mirror, like made eye contact. And so that's kind of like what I took away from this too, is that it's like this doppelganger always has like messy mm. hair covering her eyes. Like she can, ki- you know, it's like if you have your hair over your face, like she Picture can- the girl ki- from, the, from the ring. I know. You can like kind of see, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. like not really. But did the boyfriend yeah. make direct eye contact? Oh, and yeah. is that what sealed his fate? Uh. And now that the dreams are increasing, like if I'm her, I'm terrified to go to sleep. I'm terrified I'm going to see it in mm-hmm. in- real time Mm -hmm. and if i do i don't like i run to close my eyes turn my head because if i make eye contact with it yeah i'm thinking that 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 i'm a goner Ah. right yeah the 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 totality of this lifetime of doppelganger sightings is this is too much was that anonymous or what's her name her name is low that's right low that's right low well low we obviously wish you the best of luck in dealing with whatever this is and uh highly encourage you to go you know, try and speak to some spiritualist or something. Yeah. That, it's like at this point, what do you have to lose? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I know that you said that you're agnostic and like religion isn't your thing and you're scientific mm-hmm. and that's all fine and well because I mean, right. I, I'm not religious in any capacity, but I will tell you that if if I were you and I was in this position, I would mm-hmm. be pulling out all the stops. Yep, talk to a priest, talk to a pastor, like, like just a, mm-hmm. and again, that thing of like, why not? Yeah. You know, like a, a shaman, uh, mm-hmm. a witch. Yep, exactly. I mean, there are so many options. I don't know where you live. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can... Native Americans have, you know, tinctures and they believe a whole other set of things that, you know, mm-hmm. might be able to help you. I don't know. And I also don't know, like, when this story, I don't have the date on when this story came in. So I don't know if this was six weeks ago yeah. or six months ago. So I'm like, right. if there's an update, we would love to hear from you. And also just like want to know you're okay. I'm a little freaked out. And you were right, Dan. It was Percy Shelley. 
Good oh, job. Okay. Your brain, man. I know. It's kind yeah. of annoying. Uh, and just to, so everyone's not left hanging, was yeah. a poet. Yeah. Saw the, her, her doppelganger a bunch. His, I Or think. his, sorry, yeah. his, mm-hmm. his doppelganger a bunch. And the last time was it pointed out to the sea. And then shortly after he drowned. died in a, yeah, he drowned in a sailboat accident. Yee. Yeah, now I remember. Thanks, Joe. Good job, Joe Paisley. Wow. Uh, Eat you, Wawa. <laughs> Do you want to... Uh... Ugh, want to thank some Annabelle's? Yes, I want to thank some Annabelle's for supporting the show and helping us uh, do an awesome job at the Giving Tree this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grimlock, Charisma Freaks, Kay Harkins, Tyla Kraut. Wait, I just need to go back. Yeah, okay. I thought I thought I inverted some letters. Tyla Kraut, Megan Blamer, Blamer, Megan Blamer, Mackenzie Riley, Anna Cooper, Matthew Press. Justin Gaston, Paul Brigstock, Alexandria Ganger, Andrew Reinhardt, Daniel Moore, Courtney Masher, Masher, Billy Buck Williamson. That's a fucking great name. Billy Buck Williamson. Get the fuck out of here. I love your name. Billy Buck Williamson sounds like a showman for like an old Wild West kind of show. It's like, you know, he's like, on today's bill, we got Annie Oakley, Buffalo Bill, uh, and I'm Billy Buck Showman. I know. (laughs) Williamson? Williamson, whatever. I had showman. (laughs) Billy Buck Williamson. Oh, my God. I love it. I want to be friends with you. Uh, Alejandra Chavez, Raul Espinoza, Carl, 007 Pippin. Austin Ingram, Mark Donovan, Alicia Miller, Haley McLean, Kathleen Hassenberg, Harley Ray, and Jenny Johnson. Nice. Nice. Oh, welcome to Billy Buck Williamson's Roundup. Billy Buck Williamson's Roundup today. We got Annie Ugly doing her tootin'. We got Wild Bill doing his tootin'. I don't know. Tootin'? I don't know. I had a hat. Oh, God. I'd like to thank the following Annabelle's uh, Darian Warden, Danielle Ingersoll, Jules Harris, Jocelyn Weiss, Jackie N., Tess McCarthy, Sierra Thompson, Miranda Phelps, uh, Arrow Wright, Marie Campos, Mary G. Hako, Jaslyn Delval, Aaron Badger, uh, Jorge Castro, Vanellope Travels, uh, Juana Martinez, Rotten Clown. Guessing that's not a birth name. <laughs> Absolutely. If, if, if it is, woof. It's a rough life. Uh, that's a tough one. That's a tough blow. Uh, MM, or M.M. Ibak, Kovo, Jessica Williams, Megan Barbie, Christopher Turner, David Yo- uh, David either Yorens or Lawrence Jr., uh, Rochelle Kudahi, and Kirk Balm. Kirk Balm is another interesting name to uh-huh. me. Kirk Balm. Sounds sounds like a like salve. Sounds, yeah. yeah, sounds like a medicine salve. or something. Well, just put a, throw a little Kirk balm on it and clear that rash right up. Did you call it salve? I it's, did. It's salve. salve. Oh, yeah. I think I've mispronounced that, mispronounced that my whole life. I'm, I'm sure you have. Billy Buck Williamson grabbed the Kirk balm. One of our star performers is injured. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Um, Because we frequently mess up names. Yeah. Uh, a couple weeks, I got an email. And I just, as I was reading these names, it was so hard for me not to just bust out laughing. Some this guy, his name is I think it's Stephen Beavers, but I had left off the T and I was like seven Beavers, seven Beavers, and then we must have gone back and forth about it for a little bit because yeah. he sent an email. Oh, I remember and, that, yeah. And he said that he's like I have heard obviously with the last name Beavers. He's uh-huh. like I've heard it all. Some grotesque, some just downright rude. Like <laughs> right, I've sure, heard it sure. all. He's like, but that was by far 
the best mistake of my name ever. Like so funny. And then I think I think that the email closed with signing off seven beavers. Like I just was in <laughs> tears laughing. Like, God, <laughs> why seven beavers? Like, how did I just not put the T in? Doesn't seven beavers sound like it could be a casino or like a bingo hall? <laughs> yes. Come to seven beavers for the golf. I don't know. Well, yeah, it sounds like one that could be like uh well, because you were just at like Angel of the Winds mm-hmm. Casino. Like all these um yeah, tribal casino. Uh, tri- yeah. That's the word I couldn't think. Uh, that's where Billy Buck Williamson has a show. <laughs> Billy Buck Williamson has a residency at uh, Seven Beavers. I'm sorry. Oh uh, my seven, gosh. seven Beavers Casino and Golf, Golf and Spa. Oh my God! Do you know who just got a residency? You're not even going to think this is cool at all. I don't. Michael Bublé. And I'm like, I oh, would totally, yeah. I would uh, totally go see him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm dreaming of a wife. That sounds like Bing Crosby. I don't know what you're doing. Oh, I thought, was, I, thought I thought Michael Bublé sounded a little bit like Bing Crosby. Uh, I guess. Is a little bit more modern, a little bit of Bing Crosby. I was I was thinking of his song. I just haven't met you yet, but that's okay. I was thinking like his like sweet peppy love songs. I don't know. He's so cute. I love him. Anyways, some spoopy shout outs. Yeah. To River from Bree and Sasha, happy birthday. We own your soul forever. Mm. Those are some good friends. (laughs) To Creeper Cassidy from your mom Madison, happy eleventh birthday. To Noah from Emily, happy belated birthday. To Dahlia from your mom, Freesha, happy belated birthday. And to Paige from Matt, also a happy belated birthday. Uh, Paige's birthday is the same as mine. Nice. So that makes you an awesome Scorpio queen. <laughs> uh, that is our show. Thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else. Info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith, Liz Hernandez for the work on socials. And to Logan again for running badmagicmerch.com. Thanks to Joe Paisley for producing, directing today. Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. Book editor Drew Atana for helping to format the listener stories each week. And thanks to producer Olivia Lee for finding the first story today and Sophie Evans for finding the second. And enjoy your nightmares, creeps, and peepers. Bye, everybody. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through, but has no home here within scared to death. Magic Productions. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats, like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate (laughs) is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.